Well, we are in Acts right now. We're, we're jumping into Acts chapter 3, and we've been on this kind of uh, amazing story of the beginning of the church starting. By the way, my name is Justin, if you don't know who I am. Uh, but we, we've been walking through the beginning of Acts, the story, and the story that we're reading about is the beginning of the church. How did this, this church begin, this church that has uh, become the largest religion in the world today, uh, a church that went from just a couple of hundred people when Jesus rose from the dead to just three centuries later becoming the standard religion of the Roman Empire. How did this this monstrosity begin? How did it start? What are the beginnings? And that's what the book of Acts, written by Luke, details. And so we're in the third chapter, and what we've, what we've learned so far is right in the beginning, the first chapter, we learned about Jesus' ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit's descension onto uh, human beings. And so in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would only come on a few people, on kings, on certain kings, on certain priests, on certain prophets, um, to speak his will, do his work. Uh, but what we see here is that the Spirit is empowering all people, men, women, uh, it, it breaks every racial, ethnic, socioeconomic barrier, gender barrier, things that were not done at the time. We see that the spirit falls on all people. And immediately, some crazy things begin to happen. The first thing that we talked about is as soon as the spirit fell, people started speaking in languages that they didn't know. That was crazy thing number one. Crazy thing number two is right after that happens, Peter stands up. And he begins to preach. He preaches the first sermon of the New Testament. And 3,000 people decide that they are going to have Jesus as their Lord and Savior and follow Christ. And so they start what is called in the beginning of Acts as the way, or as we know it today, Christianity. And so that's crazy thing number two. Crazy three, number three happens where this community that forms, they become a true, intimate community. They start selling their possessions to give to people that have need. They start learning together. They start living and going through life with one another in ways that were just are, are just not normal then and today. And it says that as that was happening, people would come and see. And it says that the church started getting added to daily. So we started off with... 3,000 plus people, and then every day people were coming to know God because of the witness of this community that was formed. And then today, another crazy thing happens, and so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it. Today, uh, we're just going to be talking about the demonstration of the power of God. And so we're going to be jumping into Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 10. So this is uh, picking up right where we left off last week at the end of Acts 2 when we were talking about this amazing community that was formed. And so now we kind of get into what is the daily life of the church look like. And so we're going to start in verse 1 in chapter 3. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid at daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. 
And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have to give you. But, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. This is an incredible story that happens here. Right? We are, if, if you've read the Gospels, then you are, you are used to this scene when Jesus does it. There are several times where there's people that have lifelong illnesses that Jesus tells them. He either says your sins are forgiven or he just tells them to rise up and walk or to open their eyes and to see. But this is something that Jesus does that's recorded. But Jesus had said this statement that we're going to keep repeating over the next few weeks. He says, if you think these are great, but, but what I'm doing is cool, just wait. Because what you are going to do is going to be greater than the things that I have done. And at the time when he told that to the disciples, they must have thought Jesus was crazy. Like, how can we do more amazing things than spitting in somebody's eyes and them seeing? Like, how, how gangster is that? Like, how can we beat that? There's just no possible way. But yet we see the beginnings of that beginning to form right here. That Jesus was not lying when he said to the disciples that they were going to do more amazing things than what they had seen done through him. And in this scene right here is this man that was paralyzed that everybody in the community knew that was paralyzed. When Peter and John were walking to the temple, they must have seen this man because he was laying there daily at the temple over and over again. This was not something that Peter and John had done for the first time. They had seen him. Yet for the first time, they were empowered to do something about what they saw. And for the first time, that man gets up and he walks. There's a few things that I want to talk about here in this passage that I, I think are essential and something that should really impact our hearts to how we should act as the church. The first thing that I want to point out about this passage is this. Peter and John were outside of the temple. What's important about that is that we need to understand that God is not confined to our religious institution here on Sunday morning. God does, when we walk outside of church on Sunday, God does not throw his hands up and say, well, it didn't happen this Sunday morning, so I have to wait for next Sunday morning for something powerful to happen. God is not confined to our Sunday worship to do something powerful and amazing. But yet so often in our lives, we find that our most amazing moments only happen on Sunday morning. And you know what? It's incredible to have amazing moments on Sunday morning. But I want us to learn something here from the disciples. That God is not confined to religious institutions. 
And a lot of times, even subconsciously in our thinking, we confine him to that. Hey, I can't confess my sin right now because I'm not at church. Or I don't think I can get somebody to pray for me because it's not Sunday yet. We may not say it's not Sunday yet, but we maybe anticipate Sunday to be the day that we get right with God if we had a bad week. Maybe we anticipate Sunday to be the day that the power of God will really move in our lives. Maybe we anticipate Sunday to be the day that we can have confession with somebody. Yet God is not confined to Sunday morning. Luke thinks it's important to note that they were outside the temple when this happened. And what we see is we see this pattern begin in Acts. That most of the demonstration of the power of God is done outside of the temple or outside of the religious institution. Or for us, outside of Sunday morning. When we see miracles like this happen over and over and over again in Acts, we do not see them happen in the temple. We do not, in our context, see them happen on Sunday morning. They are happening among the people, where the people are in everyday life. For us, that would mean in our jobs, in our home life, in our phone conversations, in our friends' time, in our alone time. These are the moments outside of the temple for us. That God is very willing and very, very ready to demonstrate his power. The second thing that I see here in this passage is Peter and John. It says that they looked hard at the man. And this is something that we see again constantly in Acts. It it says either, depending on what translation you use, they looked intently at the person, they looked hard at the person, or they gazed at the person. It's all uh, around this same concept. And what I love about this is Peter and John, like I said before, they had seen this man every day. You know, it was part of custom to go to the temple to pray daily. And it says in in the passage here that this man would be left by his friends at the entrance of the temple daily. And so they must have seen him going in and out every day as he asked for alms. But yet this time, when they were going to the temple, they did something different. They stopped and they looked. You know, when I, when I read this, I think about how often on my daily routine to the train station, on my daily routines to work, how often do I pass people every day that are in need? Right? How often do I hear the same people Asking for something, asking for for meals, asking for food, asking for something. And yet it's part of my daily routine to pass them every day and never even give them a second look. Never care for them, never think about them. But what Peter and John do here is they overcome familiarity. So that they can minister God's heart to this man. They stopped and they looked. You know, and I was, I was thinking about my own life. How much different would my walk be to work 
if that the people that were in need, if I just stopped and I looked at them. It's easy to kind of walk past somebody when, you know, we do that New York thing where I'm just going to pretend you do not exist right now. We're good at that. I mean, I, I'm especially good at that. I'm especially good at, you know, at the, um, in my family they call it the Matera face because we all have it. And it's just this face that we have where the world just doesn't exist right now. The only thing that exists is where I'm going. And you can say hi to me. You can say Justin. You could, you know, you could do, I don't know, a jumping jack right in front of me. And I just will not, I will not notice you. That is, I don't know what it is. So, like, if I walk by you and I, and I don't say hi and, you know, I'm sorry. I, I just apologize right now because it's, you know, it's genes. I blame my DNA. Uh, my parents do it, my siblings do it, and I do it. So, <laughs> but that's what strikes me about this story is, is it's really easy, and I think this is, this is also just a New York thing. Man, because there's so many crazy people on the subway. There's so many crazy people that we have learned to shut out the outside world so that we can live in our comfort zone. We go on the train with hundreds of people every morning, yet we are alone. Like, I, I will get mad if you talk to me on the train. Yes, I know we're confined, and I'm literally not even a centimeter away from you. Our thighs are touching right now. But don't you dare open your mouth and talk to me. Because if you do, then, oh, it is on. You're getting dirty looks. You're getting eye rolls. You're getting, like, in my head. You know, don't even, let's not go to what goes on in my head. That's between me and Jesus. But this is how we live. This is our culture. And Peter and John, same way, they walked by this dude every day, but yet they stopped this time and they looked at him. And I was thinking, what, how different would my life be if I stopped and I noticed people around me? How much more can I communicate the love and the ministry of God? It can really begin to change things. I remember there was this one dude, I was walking home from work. Uh, I parked my car, I was walking to my house, and again, when I'm walking home after a long day of work, you know, I parked my car, I cannot wait to get home. Like, I'll give you an example. When I was in high school, I knew how long it would take to get from the high school door to the train station, that if nobody talked to me, I would get the same R train every week to get home as fast as possible, to get to my room as fast as possible. This is called introvert problems as well. And so when I'm, after a long day of work, I park my car, I, I just want to, I'm turning into a Boston person. I don't know, it's like, I hate the Patriots so much that they're just starting to get in my head right now. <laughs> I know, finally I got an amen for that one. It's all right, guys. I know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. And so when I'm walking home, I, I don't want to be disturbed. Like, this is my, you know, this is my, I just want to get home. But I saw this guy one day when I was walking home out of the corner of my eye, he was looking at me. And usually that means in my head, like, I go from this pace to this pace. <laughs> you know, like, time to speed up, Justin. Like, don't ever, don't try to get into conversation. And, uh, but something told me, you know what, don't be a jerk today. Just, why don't you look at this guy? And so I turn around and I look, and it was a homeless man. And he said, hi, excuse me, how you doing? And I, you know, I said hello. And uh, I just happened, I don't know why, I had my Bible on me that day. Um... You know, I'm not one of those dudes that's just walking around in the street with his Bible. That is just not my M.O. Uh, but for some reason that day, I had my Bible on me. I was extra Christian. 
Uh, and the guy looked at me, and he was like, hey, excuse me. And I was like, why is this dude talking to me? But I looked up to him, and I talked to him. And so I said hi, and I smiled. I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, I noticed you had your Bible. And I was like, what? I do have my Bible. I mean, I got a Bible. Uh, he was like, man, I, I don't know. I just I needed to talk to somebody today, and uh, I haven't been doing well. And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And uh, I don't know. I was just prompted. I was like, are you hungry? You want to go out to eat? And as soon as I said that, I was like, can I take that back? Like, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and he was like, sure. I was like, all right, we're doing this. We're going out to eat. So I was like, there's a great pizzeria over here. Let's, you know, I had 10 bucks on me. That's enough for two slices for two people. Let's go out to eat. And so I go and uh, we, we go, like, we get some slices and we sit down. And I just said, hey, why don't you tell me about yourself? And so he begins to share his story. Dude has a, a rough, rough story. And he had been homeless for a while. He was just starting to stay at um, a family member's in East New York, but he liked coming to Bay Ridge because it was around where he grew up. Um, and so that he, he had no job, no money, nothing. And he, he was hungry at that moment. He had nothing to eat, and that's why he was asking for money on the corner. And he hadn't been in church in a really long time. It turned out that as a kid, he had gone to church. And so while we're eating, you know, I'm listening to his story, and I was just like, hey, when he was done sharing, I said, can I pray for him? He said, sure. And so we just started praying in the pizzeria, and I prayed as I felt led. And I, I at that point, um, I my home church, I, I said I, I wasn't going there that Sunday, but I wrote down a church form. I was like, here, here's a great church. I think you would connect with a lot of people there. And I wrote down the address. Didn't really expect anything of it. Gave it to him. And I got a call that Sunday uh, from one of the guys in the church. And they're like, hey, Justin. Yeah, somebody came today. They said they met you on the street. Uh, and they came to church. And, you know, they came to get prayed for. And it seems like they're turning a new leaf uh, in their life. And I, I, I was just kind of dumbfounded by this because in my normal routine of life, I would have completely ignored this man. I mean, there are so many people I ignored when they say, hey, 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 you know, and we're just used to the more you talk and the louder you get, the more I'm going to believe like I didn't hear anything just now. The more I'm going to pretend like you're not there. But yet this simple act of just looking at this guy and responding to what he said meant that he was ministered to and he was able to go to church on Sunday and he kept on going for a while until he was able to settle with a place and with a job and he no longer lived in the neighborhood. And that's what I think of when I think of this story with Peter and John that it's so easy for us to ignore the needs of the people immediately around us. Whether on the subway, whether on our way home from work, whether our way to work, to school, back from school, we get in these familiar routines. But how powerful would it be if we as people knew that we had something to offer that was greater than money, that was greater than what people were asking for. And that's all I really had to offer. I knew pizza was a temporary solution, but I knew that there was a solution that God could offer this man that was an eternal solution. That if I just simply prayed with him and listened to his story, that it would do something in his life, not because I'm an amazing person, but because I know that the power of God is transformative and has the ability to do something in this, this man's life in that moment 
that would be greater than any amount of money or any talk that I could give him. I pray that we begin to see with God's eyes. Now, there are people in New York that are hustling you. There's no way to get around them. But hopefully you have a good New York meter at this point. That you can tell the hustler from the real one. But if you are like any other New Yorker, there's people that you see them. There are people that I've seen years in the same spot. I know their conditions. I know what they need in their life. And this is challenging to look at them, to just look at them and know that I have something to offer. may not be what they want at that moment. This man was asking for money. But yet Peter and John, they didn't have money. And that brings us to my next point, the third thing I see in this passage. Where Peter and John say this, they say, silver and gold I do not have. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. There's a great story about this passage. St. Thomas Aquinas in the year 1200 to 25 to 1274, that was his lifetime. He once called upon Pope Innocent II. And he was counting a large sum of money. And the Pope remarked, he said, you see, Thomas... The church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas replied, and he said, true, holy father, but neither can she now say, rise and walk. Powerful, powerful statement. So many times the church can say today, hey, I got money for you, and we leave it at that. But what we can no longer say is rise up and walk. What this passage shares, how Peter and John demonstrate the power of God, is through the name of Jesus. See, if Peter just said rise up and walk, on his own authority, what would have happened at that moment? Peter is just merely a human. He would have went with his right hand to pull the guy, and nothing would have happened. And he would have just looked like an idiot. Right? If Peter was just like, all right, buddy, come on. We got this. Throw in a little mental power. Do a little jig. some more jumping jacks. Come on. Nothing would have happened. But the moment that Peter said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, what he was saying is under a different man's authority, under a different person's power, what he was saying to this man is your sins are forgiven and you are also healed. See, this right here, this is the message of Jesus. That not in our own authority are we healed, not in our own authority are we forgiven, not in our own authority are we even good. But by the name of Jesus do we get all these things. 
But yet today we forget the power of the name of Jesus. For some of us, it has just become routine. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, that was me. Sorry, that was just me. Right, or, you know, I just, in the name of Jesus. Or, we try doing things on our own. Man, if, if I do this prayer more times, then I'll be healed. Or if I, you know, if, if I'm more disciplined in this way, or if I wake up earlier, or stay up later. We try to do all these things, and we, we do them in our own strength. We do them in our own authority. We do them in our own power. And then we wake up the next day, and we ask God, and we're mad at him. And we say, why am I still the same? And the reason is that we are not doing these things in the power of the name of Jesus. I still catch myself today trying to get well again in my soul, in my own power. Sometimes, you know what that looks like? That, that looks like a Netflix binge. I just need time off and then I'll feel better, but five hours later I still feel like garbage. Sometimes, you know, that looks like we run to our different things. We run to our clutches. Some of us, that's drugs. Some of us, that's alcohol. Some of us, that's people. We run to our crutch. And then we say, man, I've been doing this Jesus thing. I've tried this Jesus thing. Yet here I am in the same hole, in the same predicament, in the same way. And even sometimes we try praying and sometimes we try reading. But we are looking to, hey, if I do this, and, and, and that's the problem, that I word. If, if I read this amount of, of, of times, if, if I pray this amount of times or this long of a period, then guess what? And I will be better. And we come up with these formulas and these statistics and we try maneuvering around life when at the end of the day we still wake up unwhole. We still wake up depressed. We still wake up running to these different vices. We still wake up in need of something that we thought we had. And that is where the name of Jesus can bring freedom to places that have been left broken. That is where the name of Jesus can come into places in our lives that we have tried other things for, that we have tried other places for, we have tried other people for, but yet we have been left unwhole. That is where the name of Jesus comes. Because in the name of Jesus, we are allowed to approach the Father God. We are allowed to boldly go before the throne of grace. We are allowed to enter into the holy of holies, the presence of God. Not because I am so good, but because he is so great. Literally, when we come before the Father in the name of Jesus, we are saying, Father, I am sinful. Father, I am not worthy. Father, I am not holy, but I know one who is. And I come on his behalf. 
And Jesus is the one that covers us so that God is no longer looking at my sin and my tribulation and my faults. But he sees his son and works through his son in my life. See, I have seen my life changed in the name of Jesus. People here wouldn't even recognize me before God did some major surgery in my heart. I used to be the most insecure, defensive, perverted little kid you ever met in your life. Like I was I was that's who I was known as. That was the story of Justin. When I would wake up and look in the mirror, that's who Justin would see. But I remember little by little, I started to realize, God, this isn't a character flaw. This isn't, this isn't a DNA thing. This is sin. This isn't my personality. I, I wasn't, my personality isn't to be insecure. This is a sinful thing in my heart that wants to look good in front of everybody. And so I'll be defensive I'll be gossipy, I'll put on a front, I'll put on something that isn't me so that people will like me. That's not personality, Justin, that's sin. And I remember thinking, man, Jesus, these are the things that you died for so that I could be free from. And I started praying in the name of Jesus instead of the name of Justin. And I saw God begin little by little to, to take things out of my life. I still remember this one night. I'd been praying for a while about the insecurity in my heart. And, and uh, my uncle, he was really good at, at making fun of me. Right? He, my uncle is from New York. And so you know people from New York. If you sniff out an insecure person, what does that make you do? It just makes you make fun of them even more. Right, that, that's how we are in New York. And so my uncle was able to sniff out this insecurity in my life. And so what did he do? He started, he would just, he would just rag on me 24-7. And at, at one point, I, I finally had enough, and I screamed at him. Right, and I just, I got mad, I got red-faced, you know, I got angry. I was like, man, what's your problem? Just leave me alone in front of mad people. And, like, everybody would just, like, stop what they were doing, got silent, like, ooh, what just happened here? You know, mad nosy. And my uncle was, you know, it's okay. I thought about this one. My uncle's a pastor, you know, so I was like, oh, man, this is not going to end well. And I remember later in the day he called me into his office. And he, and he said, Justin, don't you know that God can free you from your insecurities? And I just started crying, I literally just weeping right in front of him. You know, those ugly tears where it's just like, ah, this isn't pretty. This isn't like wedding tears, you know. This is like snot just like drooling on the floor, just, you know, coming out, really disgusting. Because at that moment, I saw the depth of my brokenness, but I also saw the hope of the gospel, of the name of Jesus. And he prayed for me that in his office, but that night in service, I remember going up and 
during worship and just praying and I was just weeping again and I just thought, wow, these moments that God does bring to you, you just can't contain it. And I was just weeping and what I saw was God began to bring flashbacks of my childhood. And every time something that happened that I felt like dug the insecurity hole deeper in my heart, it was like that memory was coming out, and little by little, God was sowing that place in my heart. And every memory that dug deeper, God was sowing another stick. And after that time of worship and prayer, I stood up, literally a new man. And I remember from that moment, there was something different about my heart that I didn't have to be liked by everybody. I didn't have to put on a front about who I was. And I didn't have to be somebody that I wasn't. When I think of the power of Jesus, I think of moments like that. Where there is this thing, this belief, this faith, that when we believe in God, when we believe in his power and what he says, he can do amazing things. I've seen God heal people. I've seen God do crazy things in my life, things that, that's the only reason why I'm up here today is because I've seen with my own eyes the things that I've read about. And I realize this changes the game to an extent that I can no longer be the same person that I always was. That I have to live for something more because he has done something different that I've never seen from anybody else before. And that changes when I speak about the name of Jesus because now I remember and I know that there's power in that name. That just like Peter and John said to that lame beggar one day, rise up and walk. God can do the same things in my life. He can do the same things in yours and it doesn't have to be on a Sunday morning. It doesn't have to be at an altar call. It doesn't have to be because a special pastor prayed for you. It's when we remember who he is and we begin to live our lives knowing that there's power in his name. And you know what the greatest miracle of all, the greatest transformation, the most demonstrative thing that God can do, it is saving a sinner like me. And when I wake up every morning and I don't have to put on my shame face and I don't have to walk around with guilt and I don't have to condemn myself for the things that I did the other day. But I remember that through the name of Jesus I have grace and mercy with a loving God who sent his son to die for me while I was yet a sinner. The Bible says then I can walk with confidence knowing that because of his name there is power to save me. As that song says, even a wretch like me. God has called us to seek people outside of this building, to look at people differently, and to remember the name of Jesus. 
has called us to be countercultural, to go against the wave where in New York we say, I don't see you, I don't look at you, I don't hear you, I don't know you. But he has called us to be the ones that look. He has called us to be the ones that believe. He has called us to be the ones that demonstrate. And maybe we need some of that power demonstrated in our own lives first. Well, then I encourage you today, call upon the name of Jesus and see how his power transforms and changes your life.